Shalom to the online Nechamuami family. This is Rabbi Damien. The next several weeks' teachings will be speaking to some significant changes coming to Nechamuami. Even if you're not in the seats, to me, you're part of the family. And it's important then for me to share with you what is coming, why, and hopefully to have you be as excited as we are. Because Hashem is doing a great thing and we, no matter where we reside, are blessed to be a part of it all. With His help, big things are ahead. You're invited. We'd love to have your support and enjoy the teaching. Can I depart from the norm just a little bit today? It's, it is. I'm going to, whether you give me permission or not. So I shouldn't even ask the question. Um, and I like, to mix, I like to mix it up sometimes. It's, it's good. And we spent a lot of time of late talking about shalom making and these things and these things, and they're good things, lots of talk. And, and I, I, I definitely want to keep our excitement alive because, listen, I just this week in the gym, someone asked me um, about, do I have a synagogue? Yeah, I do. And my answer, it's called Nechamu Ami. And I got... The same thing. And I said, but soon to be Shalom Macon, total stranger, soon to be Shalom Macon went, oh, Shalom Macon, that's cool. <laughs> I mean, man, 10 years it's taken to come to this realization. But we are moving it to 314, and I think we should serve pie that day. I'm glad somebody got it. Zach got it literally for the pie. That's <laughs> right. 3.14. 3.14 or cherry pie, your pick. Uh, but today, today is some practical advice, and I know that is sometimes nobody likes to hear that word, but practical teaching related, of course, to some of what we've talked about. We've talked about some habits and things that Messianic Judaism has developed and put forth and some things that work and some things that don't. And we've assessed the success of, of practices and thought processes and how we want to change some of those things in order to expand and reach others. And there are some things that we don't want to change. And so we're evaluating a lot of our current um, things that we do. And Shalom Macon is, of course, where disciples grow. So today we're going to grow in a very practical way that's not just about this place. It's about that place out there, which is real big. And there's a lot of things that you can do out there for better or for worse. Now, listen, when I say practical, I may, not, I may not mention Yeshua one time today. I may not quote one Bible verse. I probably will not give you some deep, deep revelation of some mysterious text that you've wrestled through. I'm not going to give you some novel interpretation of a Bible scripture that you don't understand. As a matter of fact, I may not quote the Bible once. Well, what the heck are we here for then? That's what this place is about. It is. It's also about living life. And I'm not going to give you a message about how raking your leaves 
is, can be compared to being a great dad. Or how, you know, whatever. I love some of these sermon series that are out there. But that's not what we're doing either. You're going to learn about life and how to live it more abundantly. I just quoted the Bible. Sorry. Yeshua said that. And I just said Yeshua. And I quoted something Yeshua said. But John said it. But Yeshua, okay. You can live a better life by your own self-improvement. And if you will listen, that's where it starts. That means listen, hear, and implement. That's where it finishes. I'm confident that every aspect of your life can be improved, including, and especially, your spiritual life, which is kind of why you're here. It's totally dependent on you, but... I try, and we try as a congregation to give you some little nudge, increasing, improving your spiritual life. And that can happen. And your connection to God. And that's a pretty tall order, but I like to hope. I read an interesting book that kind of started this process for me. It's called Self-Esteem in the Talmud. Sounds like an interesting read, doesn't it? I can't recommend the book because I've only read three pages of the book. So it's by a, a, a rabbi, of course. But those three pages were enough to inspire something very significant for your way of living and looking at life. And he says something incredible. And I just wanna, I wanna read a little bit of it. Now, is this because I think you need to improve your self-esteem? Well, if that's something you struggle with, then maybe. But I think we just generally can improve ourselves, generally. And so what he says is this. He's talking about how God has angels, God has men, but men and women, people, humans, but that humans actually are superior to angels. That's that Talmudic uh, heresy. No, listen, listen. The greatness of man is that he can emulate God by choosing to act in a godlike manner. It is a choice. Hashem is the true independent reality. We're dependent on that reality, but... Let me find the three pages I read, actually, because that's not them, but... Oh, that's the introduction. I didn't read that either. <laughs> How? How can man be compared to angels which are spiritually pure? How can this be? Man's insignificance when compared to angels is a misconception as widespread as it may be. In Adam's perception, the angels were no greater than any other creation. Think about that. Therefore, Adam gave them a name, Malachim. You know what it means? Messengers. It means messengers. That connotes nothing more than messengers. And angels have no free will. Now, let's not get into the Lucifer thing right now. Angels have no free will, making them similar, and this will sound sort of heretical, but listen to me, making them similar to animals. Because animals act according to instinct. Now, where angels act in service to God, but both lack free 
will. Are you tracking with me on this right now? Okay, good. So, angels neither grow nor change because they lack free will. Man takes strides. He's able to grow and develop precisely because we have free will. And one would think that man created from earth and steeped in the world of human passions would certainly be on a lower level than angels, right? Certainly. However, it is the Yetzer Hara. This is Hebrew for the evil inclination or the animal instinct that is in all of us. Paul refers to it as what? The flesh. The flesh and spirit. In Judaism, in Paul's mind when he's using these terms to communicate to people, the flesh is the yetzer harah, that is the evil inclination. The yetzer hatov is the good inclination. It's the part of God that's within us that is supposed to lead us and guide us and we're supposed to pay attention to that. But there's always this battle going on like the old Bugs Bunny cartoons where the devil's here and the angel's here. You know, and they're having this internal battle. Some of the Warner Brothers guys were Jewish, so that's probably drawn from the Yetzer Hatov, Yetzer Harab, but it's a very common biblical thing. But this author's suggestion here is that because we have this battle going on at all times, that gives man the potential for greatness. When we grapple with and overcome our negative inclination, we bring out our innate greatness, not because we are pre-programmed to be great, but because we choose it. We choose it. Adam was named Adam because he came from the Adamah, the earth. That's where he derived his name, Adam, from the Adamah. It means earth. And so this, this interesting continuation, this concept is it's normal for man then and your, your earthly nature to want to return to that, to, to tend toward the things that are not so good in life. Anyone have any bad thoughts, inclinations, behaviors ever in the course of a day? Well, it's natural. You're from the earth, and this earthly thing is that, well, we just tend toward that. And also, by clarification, and I'm way off topic here, but just stay with me. We don't have anywhere else to go, right? This idea of the Yetzer Hara is actually a, a part of God's design for your body because it is the thing that pushes you to desire food and money and procreation and uh, enjoyment in life. The problem is when it runs unchecked and your desire for procreation becomes something very untov, very, very bad, or your abuse of food or drink or any other thing, those are natural good things that God gave you in this aspect of your nature that says, go get those things. But when they run uncontrolled, Anyone ever have an uncontrolled yetzer hara? I have. It's really bad. It ends up really bad. But there's another 
If you change the vowels of that word Adamah, it can be read as Adame. Adamah, the earth. Adame means to resemble. To resemble. And therefore, here's his really cool thing, is that we have the option to return to our earthly, natural, kind of gross self, the, the, the Adama, or we can rise, we can choose to elevate and resemble God. And here's what he says that I really love, and this is where we're going to get out of this book and get into what we're actually talking about. With this knowledge, what it should give us is an intrinsic sense of worth. After all, listen to this. God believes in us so much that he has entrusted us with the ability to create our own self. That is so contrary to so many things that people have been taught and told in religious environments. This is the meaning. And he blew into his nostrils a living spirit. The essence of our living spirit is our freedom to choose our own destiny. It's a little esoteric, but man, it's super cool that you wake up and choose what you're going to do that day for you for your flesh, or for your spirit. And therefore, your decisions elevate you beyond the angels. Okay, now. That was a little... I was just excited about that, so I just totally (laughs) just got way out there. But that's okay. to create your own destiny. You know those people who when faced with a difficult decision, there's never, there's never a step of action. There's this thought that says we are pawns of God, incapable of achievement on our own. We're, we're, just, we're just forced to wait and see what God's going to do with us in every situation. And there is no one who waits upon the Lord will ever be ashamed. There's a place to wait. But as we've talked about so many times, there's also a place for action and God gives you that inspiration. And that taking action is important part. It's biblical. It's not okay sometimes to just say, I'll just, I'm just going to sit here in misery and wait. Sometimes David, Abraham, Moses, you got to get out there and do it. Now, this is... a a look at how we choose to direct our lives, creating our own selves. And that means, and this is the psychological part of it, building your identity. Building your identity. Which, did you know, is the most important thing you can do to live a fulfilled life? I'll I'll elaborate that on uh, for you. Who do you see yourself as? 
Now, it's, it's very helpful to see yourself as God sees you, but you have to believe that. That is your identity. But I love, love, love the idea that I spent too much time telling you about that this yetzer hurrah, or as Paul says, the flesh, that, that, that when we make this conscious choice and pass to pursue, we destroy that which is of the flesh and elevate our innate greatness as sons and daughters of the Most High God. And we choose. And quite powerfully, I gave you a message not too long ago that says who you say I am. And the voices we listen to, those create your identity. And here's where I want to head. And I'm not even talking about deep spirituality. I'm talking about practicality day in, day out. Something happens to you when you're making these choices every day. Something happens often unbeknownst to you when you're making these choices every day. And it will determine to a very large degree your trajectory in life, your outcomes, your future, your identity. Do you know what that thing is that happens unbeknownst to you so often every day? You create habits. You create habits in your life even your spiritual life, every aspect of your life has this going on. You are what you eat, right? You're actually not. You are what you repeat. You are what you repeat. I decided as I was thinking through what I wanted to share that I was going to share something that I really love, something that moves me and God willing will move you. This is a book I read about a year ago called Atomic Habits by an author named James Clear. It's an absolute life-changing book if you allow it. Now, I'm, I am going to recommend that you read this book for your own spiritual and life practical development, but I want to give you something to uh, caveat, first of all. This guy, I don't know if he's a believer. I don't know his faith. I don't know anything about that. I do know that in this book, he quotes Hindu gurus and often refers to prayer as meditation. I know that he talks about our prehistoric ancestors. I know that he says things like that. So if that is outside of your realm of comfort in terms of reading something like that, then don't read the book, okay? Then don't read the book. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But my, my focus in life often is, that, well, I tend to try to learn from everyone, so I do that. But we're asking ourselves some questions and, and, and this, this book, well, first off, another caveat. If you've mastered life, if you have it all under control and all of your habits are good and you wake up and lay down at night saying, that was the best day I could have had, then you are dismissed. Go take your Shabbat nap, have fun. If I catch you taking a Shabbat nap in here, that's a bad habit and it's not going to continue. <laughs> but here's what I want to tell you about this. Habits are a gift from God. 
Habits are a gift from God. That is without, without the, the ability to not have conscious thoughts going on for every little thing that you do in your life. You ever heard the phrase, oh my goodness, I feel like my head's gonna explode. Well, without habits, your head might not explode, but your brain will overheat and shut down. Did you know that 43% of your life is on autopilot? 43% studies show of your life is on autopilot. It's happening without you even thinking about it. Think about like how you wake up, the first thing you do, how you shower, how you get out and dry your hair, which shoe you put on first, how you drink your coffee, how you drive. Do you drive down the road thinking, I've got my hands on nine on the wheel, my, my, my foot's here, I'm looking, these lanes are passing, I'm thinking about every... You don't do that when you drive. It's a habit. You just do it, and it's very obvious that most people are not thinking when they drive. I'm right now teaching a 15-year-old to drive. I am paying attention to everything that happens when she drives. But we don't normally do that because habits are, these are things that, that are the unconscious function of the brain accomplishing these tasks on autopilot. How you do things, even deeper things than how you eat, what you eat, how you carry on conversations, how you study your Bible, share your faith, exercise, don't exercise, sleep, spend your money, save your money, check email, use your phone. That stuff is happening every day and you don't even think about it. That's a gift from God. He's given you a brain that works that way. And it frees up your mind to have these deep thoughts with yourself while you're driving down the road, driving a a 7,000 pound thing that can kill people. You're not even thinking about it. There's a science to how habits form and why, but there's a much deeper significance in God's design for that and our ability to create habits that define and desire our identity. It helps us to create that self and directly speaking to our ability to overcome the negative inclination that I talked to you about. Habits are a weapon that you can use. They are a weapon that God gave you. That's weird, it's true. Small little incremental improvements add up to big changes over time. And isn't that what we're doing as believers? Every day is an opportunity for a small incremental change in the marathon of life, not the 100-yard dash. We're making these things happen. And you can't just say, I want to be better. I want to be more like... It doesn't work that way. There are some serious implications if we want to be better disciples of Yeshua. We have to think of some of the things we do, and it works really well when we want to quote uh, Proverbs 22 to our kids or think about that as a way. Teach your kids in the way that they should go, and they will not depart from it. Teach your kids. You know what it means? Help them to be productive human beings. Help them learn how to work and brush their teeth and do things that are important. We teach our kids habits 
of how to live and function in life. But yet for us, Proverbs 22 doesn't apply to me. I got it all figured out. I know what I'm doing. No, you don't. You don't. And neither do I. Paul says something really interesting about this. In the, oh, there I go again. Sorry, quoting the Bible. Forgive me. Every athlete exercises, he says in 1 Corinthians 9. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I don't, I don't run aimlessly. I don't box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. But after preaching to others so that I might not be disqualified. On the plainest level, what he's saying is in my life, my actions matter. And I can't say I'm this and be that out there. That disqualifies me as a disciple of Yeshua if my real practical application of life is not consistent with my words. But there's something much more powerful, this comparison to athletes. And Paul does it multiple times. Paul comparing himself to athletes. Why is that? What do athletes have in spades? They have habits that build them into their identity. I am a champion. I am a gold medal winner. I am an Olympian. I am this and my life and my habits take me there. And Paul is no different, actually. He's comparing himself to an athlete, somebody who is disciplined and has good habits. Why did he need them? Well, because if you are not disciplined with good habits and you're walking around the temple of Dionysus and everybody's drunk, and then you go down to the temple of Apollo and this is happening, and here's the temple of Aphrodite and we know what's happening in there, Paul had to be a disciplined disciple of Yeshua, which comes through partially good habits. In chapter 10, he says that no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God's faithful. He'll let you be tempted. He will, I'm sorry, he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, right? But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. Do you know where temptation comes from? Well, the devil made me do it. No, he probably didn't. You did. But do you know where temptation comes from? The Yetzer Hara, which Judaism also compares to the serpent in the garden, compares it to Satan. It is the thing that drives you and tempts you. And you can, by your God-given ability, overcome that by being aware of the habits you have. How is, this help? How is this religious, Damien? Stick with me, and let's get there. And that may be a little hard to, to fathom, but your number one God-given weapon for battling temptation, the way that God has naturally wired your brain to provide the way of escape is to construct a system of habits that empowers you to succeed and risk that temptation. Resist it. That is from God. That's how your brain works. And many people, what they assume is that's holiness at work. That's just a holy person who can do that. I want to tell you something. If you strip away and could just watch a holy person function in the world for six or eight weeks, what you'd see is a set of habits that are consistent with an identity that says, I am a child of God. 
I am not that. I am this. And since I am this, I do this. But do you, uh, can, you, can you imagine your life every day having to consistently think, I do this, I don't do this, I do this, I don't do this, I do this, I don't do this. It's God's system for you and your brain. And I'm talking about life. I'm not just, I'm not just talking about spiritual. Unconscious choices we make, they're making you to a degree the person you are. And if that is the person you want to be completely, then I told you, blessings to you. You're released. But if not, there's this habit loop that's at work every Every day, cue, craving, response, reward, cue, craving, response, reward, cue, craving, response, reward. Sounds pretty primitive, doesn't it? Like, like we're animals. I told you, it's called the animal instinct. It's the basics, the things that happen in life, but that's the way your brain, I'm sorry, I can't make that super spiritual for you. That's the way your brain works. Cue, craving, response, reward. And that sounds, as I said, but, but habits, are, habits are mental shortcuts that are learned from experience. Steps that your mind followed previously to solve a problem in the past and much of your life, this is not to be negative, but much of your life is spent solving problems. When you get into the shower and get out of the shower and you're wet, guess what? You've got a problem. You need to figure out a solution for it. Much of your life is spent solving problems. And here is something I love. Did you know habits are not good or bad? You don't have good or bad habits. You have either effective or ineffective habits. Smoking, good habit, bad habit. It's neither. Here's the deal. For a smoker whose desired outcome is to relax. When they smoke, they are relaxed. They get a nicotine buzz. Whatever the thing is that's happening, if they want peace and relaxation, that puff of this death stick provides for them a short Term reward, cue, craving, response, reward. Here's the problem. We need long-term solutions to our problems. And if your long-term desire is to live a blessed and holy life, then the emphysema, the lung cancer, and premature death may get in the way of your accomplishing that. So smoking is a very effective short-term goal, but that's not what we're after. We want to live long, healthy, blessed, fulfilled lives. Well, that's just willpower, Damien. That's willpepper. Will, willpower. Willpepper. <laughs> that's willpower. Every believer has Super strong willpower. It's not willpower. Willpower is kind of a joke, you know that? It really is. It's kind of a joke. It's a, it's a 
Oh, wow. Sounded like we were at Rosh Hashanah all of a sudden. Tequila! (laughs) I'm going to lose 20 pounds. I'm going to run a marathon. I'm going to learn Hebrew. I'm going to whatever, whatever, whatever. It's the rare exception that someone accomplishes anything through willpower. Did you know that? And we know this person who they've got it all together, their finances, their job, their, their everything is just working right. And we look and we say, man, wow, that guy is really, he's got really good willpower. He, peel the layers back. What does he have? Effective long-term habits. Here's a great idea for you. Let's test your willpower. You know those southern cakes that are like 15 layers and there's chocolate all in between them? Go get one of those dripping with icing. And I want you to take that and put it in the refrigerator and say, I'm not going to have any cake. And I want you to just open the fridge and look at it. Would you take a look at it and just show me how good your willpower is? It might last a little while, and you might even be able to do it once. Do it every day. Put a new cake in there and show me about your willpower. That guy we talked about who's got it all put together, do you know how he handles the chocolate cake? His identity is not a person who eats chocolate cake, and therefore, it's not in the refrigerator at all. It's a habit. I don't do that. Or if it is, what great habits do is they provide for you these blinders to temptation. So you open the fridge, you see a cake, but you don't see a cake because that's not my cake. That's not who I am. That's my kid's cake. It's a stupid illustration, but it makes the point. You create systems that put you in a place to succeed I want to lose 20 pounds. Don't put a chocolate cake in your fridge. (laughs) Don't do that. I am a person who eats healthy. I want to lose 20 pounds. That's not my cake. In other words, Paul's words from above, I discipline my body. And I'm not talking about diets and I'm not telling anyone they need to lose weight unless that's something that is in your mind and you're thinking through it right now. Well, do it. But don't do it by willpower. There's another great thing, and I'm coming to the end of this, but so uh, a a life-changing thing. It will also not be accomplished. Whatever it is that you want to do, it will not be accomplished by goals. It will not be accomplished by setting goals. Here's a life-changing atomic habits revelation. So true. Forget about goals. Focus on systems instead. Forget about goals. That doesn't mean don't ever set any goals. You can have a goal. But if you do not have effective long-term habits in place that are enforcing your identity That goal is useless. Bill Belichick. Oh, wait, no, that's another football coach. Bill Walsh, San Francisco 49ers coach, three Super Bowls. 
he was, one of, he was playing. His quote that I love, the score will take care of itself. The score will take care of itself. What does that mean? It means we can just go out there and hope it's all going to work out. and We'll will ourselves to win and we'll just stare at the scoreboard and it's going to happen. Absolutely not. It means that when you have systems in place that lead you in the direction you need to go toward your goals, that will get you there eventually. The score will take care of itself. I love that. You can have a goal, but that's not what's going to drive you there. I want to be healthier. I want to exercise. I want to have deeper faith. I want to get ahead of my finances. I want to get the promotion. I want more friends. Whatever it is, if you don't learn to deal with it in this habit loop, cue, craving, response, reward, what, is, what does that mean actually? Let me just tell you. Cue, your phone buzzes with a new text message. Craving, you want to learn the contents of the message. Response, you grab your phone and read the text. Reward, you satisfy your craving to read the message. Grabbing your phone becomes associated with your phone buzzing. You're answering emails. You begin to feel stressed and overwhelmed by work. You want to feel in control. That's the craving. The cue is you answer email. Craving, feeling stressed. Response, you bite your nails. Reward, you satisfy your craving to reduce stress. Biting your nails becomes associated with, redu with, with reducing stress. When I tell you your brain works like this, that God made this happen, I'm not making it up. It's true. That's how life happens. You smell a donut shop as you walk down the street near your office. What do you think that is? Cue, craving. You begin to crave a donut. Response, you buy a donut and eat it. Reward, you satisfy your craving to get a donut. Buying a donut becomes associated with walking down the street near your office. And then you do that every day. And how many donuts did you eat? A lot of Krispy Kreme. Atomic Habits does a phenomenally life-changing good job of putting together this idea of how you manage cue, craving, response, reward, systems for success. But let me conclude with this. This is not easy. Life is not easy. Success is not easy. Living a sanctified life is not easy. Forming good habits is not easy. But all of those things are worth the front-loaded hard work for the long-term result. It takes more than most people, sorry to say it, even in this room, are willing to give. I don't know who you are, so don't take that as an insult. But if you're listening to me and saying, this is stupid and I'm not doing this and I'm not reading the book, okay, fine. That's okay. But don't expect, don't expect massive change in your life. Don't. 43% of your day is on autopilot. And that's good if your habits are good. And if you're accomplishing everything you want, great. If they're not, what are you creating? Even if your goals are stated, written down, but no action plan in place, if you're not in tune with what your brain does on autopilot, it might be time to notice. Recognize who it is that you want to be in whatever area it is that you want to be it in. A better disciple, a better husband, a better student. I don't care what it is. 
one sermon on a Shabbat, that is certainly not going to lead to any long-term identity shift or positive habit formation. Being inspired to maybe read this book with your eyes wide open, that can make a difference. Here's a first action step. Where are you right now, Jane? Come up here and stand up and give... I'm kidding. (laughs) Where are you right now? Listen to this. I, I want you to just write this down, remember it, highlight it if you read that book, when you read that book. You should be far more concerned with your current trajectory than your current results. You should be far more concerned with your current trajectory than your current results. Where you are is not where you have to stay. But if you think you're going anywhere on the same trajectory, anywhere different, that's, that ain't going to get it. You know, I, I'll, I'll, let me just share this quick personal example. When I turned 40, I realized that I was definitely not going to grow any taller, but I certainly observed that I was growing wider. And I thought, you know what, 40, let's do something about it. I went to the gym. Kelly and I both went to the gym at that time. I had never worked out or done much of anything like that, but I decided that would be the thing. And I created a new identity at that point for myself, even though I absolutely did not look like that, but I changed the trajectory. Kelly also went at the same time. Kelly didn't change her identity at that time. It's a good thing she's not in here. (laughs) Let me tell you from experience. Let me tell you from experience, husbands, I know you don't know this, don't ever suggest to your wife that she should go to the gym. (laughs) So I, 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 you know, I just kept going because it became who I was and it was something that I did and God revealed all kinds of great things that were a part of that, even through learning to lead Learning to become a better leader, developing discipline, all kinds of things, being able to work hard, things that I never imagined would come from something that God was leading me down and to take a trajectory change. Identity shift. Kelly didn't. But then she did. Then she did. And it was Incredible, because all the things that I might have thought I could say or convince somebody, no one gets you to do anything you don't want to do. No one. No one. And she did, and she changed her identity, and she said, I'm going to do this, and I'm that. I'm not that anymore. I'm this. And she started doing it, and she got disciplined. And I'm sitting there going, that's, is, is that Kelly? And then she went on and said, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm going to help other people. And she went and got a personal training certification. And then took her identity and said, my identity is somebody who helps other people change their identity. 
It's, it, it was so visible for me to watch that happen. And I want to watch it happen for everyone. And again, I'm not talking about the gym. It's just something that's part of my life. But whatever it is, whatever it is for you, I want to watch that with you. Some of you, it is your spiritual life. Some of you, it's other things. But that's what really brings me joy in my position is to watch people transform. And so, what is your thing? On the light side, maybe you want to write a book, you want to play the guitar. On the heavy side, maybe you want more intimacy, more relationship with your spouse. You want a better relationship with your kids. You want to deal with a sin issue. We have those. I have those. God gave you a way. It's easy. It's tangible. You just got to implement it. Whatever it is, but it begins with awareness. It might be something you are not currently that you want to be or something that you currently are that you don't want to be, but it begins with awareness. And in order to build new systems and new habits, you have to be aware of old existing ones. And some of them are so ingrained in you that you wouldn't ever think about them if you're not aware of them. So, I am giving you this recommendation that we as a congregation can benefit from reading a book about how to become aware of who we currently are, who we want to be, and implement systems to get there. Damien, son, I feel like I'm leaving a psychologist's office. Well, you are today. Irvin's here, and we're calling it his office. This is Dr. Brionis. We're learning about how to be better disciples of Yeshua through real life, practical application. Do it. It will help you. Shabbat Shalom. We're building the kingdom and thankful that you're a part of that mission. If this teaching inspired you, please consider a financial gift to support the work of Shalom Macon. Visit MaconMessianic.com and click Give Online. May the Lord bless and keep you.